Good evening and welcome to Matushka's Right Peg. This is episode 15. We're recording uh, just after the Mainz v. Hertha clash, so we may make some reference to our neighbours later on. We were just discussing before the podcast that uh, normally when you've got kind of six games left, you'd probably be uh, pretty worried as an Union fan and probably looking down the other end of the table, but um, as it was, um, the last three games that we've uh, that we've just had before the uh, penultimate three, um, the last three games, um, is there that much to talk about? Um, just as a refresher, those games were against uh, Stuttgart at home, uh, Dortmund away and uh, Bremen at home as well. So um, maybe I can uh, kick off with, uh, with Baz and get you uh, your thoughts on uh, the first of those fixtures. How did you think we did against uh, Stuttgart, first of all, and then the other two games? I was actually pretty impressed with how we played Stuttgart because Stuttgart has had a really decent run. They've got they've got a plan, they've got a structure, they've got a good squad. So I was actually scared not getting a result against them. And we played very much in control. And by now, I think I, I, I've started to call it the Jupp Heynckes effect. A couple of years ago, when Jupp Heynckes was the coach of Bayern Munich, they had a lot of first halves where they weren't playing that well, but he always seemed to find a way to better the opponent uh, in the halftime break and always improved on his side for the second half. And I think that that has actually been a very good feature of us in the last couple of matches and also against Stuttgart. We've had a better second half than a first half and Urs Fischer seems to always find ways to improve ourselves and adjust to the opponent. And I think the Stuttgart game was a good example of that as well, it was good that I think Musa finally scored uh, in that uh, in that game. I still have my doubts about Musa uh, because although I like it that he's versatile and he puts in a lot of energy into the game, but his first touch is just atrocious. There's no other way of saying it. So his technical skills really have to improve. If you look at like really top class strikers, their first touch is always perfect they know where the ball is and they know where they want to go and with him that is still quite a problem so I think that's where might also be a point of doubt for Runat and Fischer whether they are going to try to buy him or not but the win against Stuttgart for me was like a really good one and um, obviously Tim is after after Stuttgart I think um, just just to maybe give a bit of feedback on some of the comments on Twitter I think um, we had a few comments that maybe we've been a bit harsh on, on Musa and Endo. As a Dutchman, you're normally pretty direct and you've called his first touch atrocious. I, I kind of get you, it's sometimes his first touch does look like a pass. Um, so I, I'm probably in, a, in agreement there with you. But um, Musa um, and Endo were the people who, uh, who maybe we've, we've been slightly critical of. Endo came back in for the Dortmund game. I have to confess, as a, as a podcast host, this is probably the first time that I've done a podcast where I haven't seen one of the fixtures. So I can probably ask some questions in, uh, in, in a different way. So maybe even though we lost against Dortmund, Baz, how, how, how did you think we played and, and how did Endo play in that game? To be honest, difficult to give an opinion on, on Endo because Dortmund is one of those teams that can, can outplay us. And I think all in all, although the, the penalty was a very light one that, that Dortmund got, um, they had the better chances. If you look at the expected goal rates, the same. So... Um, I don't think we created that many chances. And this was one of those games where I do understand why we played with with Endo because he seems to have a really good sense of 
of how to surprise an opponent and how to find spaces where other people don't see them. But um, I mean, for us, I think it was a mediocre performance for Endo as well. Was really pleased with Luther because he played an absolutely outstanding game. Without him, I think we would have lost 4-1-5-1, which would have been more like the expected goal ratio as well. Then again, if you look at one year back, we got trashed by Dortmund uh, at the Westfalen Stadion. This was a different game because we stayed in the game, I think, until five or ten minutes before the end. Um, so there is there is definitely progress there. But if Dortmund hit their stride, they're one of these, they're one of these opponents that are just so incredibly quick and creative in attack, and they can play these passes even in very tight spaces where we are, even we are vulnerable, even if we play with eight people at the back. So I think all in all, deserved defeat, proper display, but we hadn't, we couldn't claim anything more than, um, than that. Interesting. Yeah. Harking back to that evening, actually, I did, I did manage to glance at the, uh, the laptop a couple of times. I saw that we hit the woodwork, I think early on in, in that game. And then, uh, I did see the, uh, the 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 penalty which uh yeah i mean um it is what it is it was it was given a penalty so uh we we move on but um kyle maybe maybe coming back to you on those those three games and um yeah maybe uh i mean the but as i mentioned yeah we'll we'll, we'll bring you in but um the the Werder bremen uh, game and obviously uh talking about attacking players again um we we had a hat trick in that game which was good but uh how, how did you see those uh those three fixtures as a as a whole Stuttgart game was good to see Christopher Trimmel back to his uh, his best, at least in terms of contributing assists, because he hadn't given us an assist since the Stuttgart away game back in back in the fifteenth of December. And I joked after the game that Trimmel assists are like buses because you wait half a season for one and then two come along at once. Of course, it was nice to secure the mathematical Klasner out that we are we are definitely in the Bundesliga for next season. Uh, and it was also a game where we we focused a lot of our attacks down the left with the return of Lentz. That's continued in the last few games, which is uh, it's good to see us diversifying how we're attacking uh, and giving teams more to think about. The Dortmund game, uh, my notes are, fuck Royce, Luther deserved better. Royce, uh, he, he tried to buy the penalty by sticking that leg out. I don't know if anybody watched the, the Pokal games this weekend, but on Friday night when Bremen played the marketing construct, David Selke did the same thing and was given a penalty, but VAR overruled it. And I really don't see how, they, how those penalty incidents were different. Okay, maybe maybe the second one was slightly more obvious, but they were both not penalties. So what is the point in VAR if it's not going to overturn an error such as that? And it was a shame because it was the first time Luther had saved the penalty in the Bundesliga, only for him to make a second save, but then it just got bundled in uh, by Royce afterwards. So that was unfortunate, a bit of a valiant effort, and Luther was incredible. Um, and really, he did he did deserve more out of that. And then we come to Bremen. Um, the first half was one of the worst 40 minutes of football I have watched in my life. Or 45 minutes, sorry. It was awful. Like We, we, were, we were joking, we were watching the game together that, you know, watching paint dry would have been more enthralling than that first half. The only thing that happened in that first half was that incident where the, the Bremen player took the took the ball into the body like three times but there were, yeah nothing happening and then at halftime uh, Max Cruz was subbed off and it completely changes the game 
and usually you would think, oh, if Cruz is getting subbed off, like historically, oh, that'll be a bad thing. We'll maybe play worse. And it seemed that Bremen's game plan was only to to cover off Cruiser. And when he went off, Bremen had no idea what to do for that first, you know, 20, 25 minutes. And by that time, Yo Poyampolo had stuck three goals in, which the first hat trick in God knows how long. I think the, the last one I recall is Polter against Kaiserslautern. Um, but I don't know if that's for definite. I, I struggled to find any in between, though. Um, but yeah, well, we, can, uh, we can we can ask some of the uh, some of the readers. I think uh, I think uh, Mr. Timmers might be nodding in the studio. So yeah, we can uh, we can find out if that's the case. But uh, yeah, tremendous hat trick. Uh, yeah, I can actually confirm that the Polter one was apparently the last one, according to Textilvergehen, which is the German language um, Union block, which is highly recommendable if you can. If you can read German and understand German, because it keeps you very, very up to date uh, with everything Union. And they said that um, the Polter one was the last one. I would like to react very quickly on what Kyle said on the Dortmund uh, penalty and the Bremen penalty um, as well regarding VAR, because I don't like it when the whole VAR construct is being put into question every time there is kind of a debatable decision. I think overall it has made football more transparent, more honest as well. You see that a lot of players don't even try to make a Swalba a dive um, anymore. I do agree with you that the Royce penalty was, was a very cheap one, whether that was like an, an, an obvious mistake of the referee, I don't know. So if they don't correct it at the Dortmund game, they shouldn't have corrected in the Pokal game and the Cup game of, of Bremen as well. There are points of criticism when it's about a VAR, but I think all in all, and especially if you compare it to like two years ago when it started, they made massive improvements and I'm still I'm still in favour of it. Don't always get people in favour of uh, VAR, do we? So good to hear, uh, good to hear uh, a different viewpoint. Mark, do you want to do you want to come in and, and give your verdict on those uh, three fixtures? Yeah, sure. Um, the Stuttgart game, um, one of those games that uh, that 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 we've played quite a few times this year, where it could have gone again. It could have gone again either way. The early uh, the early goal for Stuttgart in the second half maybe uh, put us on the back foot, maybe a little bit too much. Um, delighted to see Musa score. Obviously, uh, that you could see how much it meant to him as well, which is always a good sign. Um, and I think it's been reflected in the games, uh, in the two games afterwards, that the, that he was certainly on a uh, that this wasn't like a monkey on his back uh, so much anymore. That he hadn't scored. That he'd finally done something in Union Colour. So that was good to see. I think uh, Dortmund. I think everything's been said. I don't need to emphasise anything more than that. Apart from the fact that that I woke up on Monday morning and I saw the the headline in the in the newspaper, uh, like uh, shock uh, at the Oscars, and it was like oh shock at the Oscars, and it was like yeah the best actor should have gone to uh, Chadwick Boseman and definitely not to Anthony Hopkins. And I was thinking, where's Marco Royce in all this? Jesus, he's a, he, he's, he's, a, he's a right one. I don't like players like this. I really don't. You can argue the toss with VR. Um, was, it a clear, was it a clear mistake and everything? But it, it's quite clearly gamesmanship. You can't 
you can't say it any other way. He saw the, the keeper sliding in, he saw Luta sliding in and everything, and purposely left his leg there to be taken away. If that's if that's a penalty, then then I'm a Chinaman. I'm sorry. It's just not a penalty. It's not a penalty. And yeah, I mean, what can you say? Uh, what, what else can you say? I don't mind losing that we were clearly the second best side in that in that game. Uh, it's just one of those ones. It leaves it like a bad taste. If we get pasted, then you say, okay, fine. Like last year, for example, like Haaland went absolutely mad last year and they put five past us. It's like, yeah, fair enough. We got our asses handed to us there. But this time it's like 2-0 and it's like the way that it's done. It leaves a bitter taste in the mouth, I think, anyway. So um, then a week later, coming on to, to Bremen, uh, we'll let the first 45 minutes go, as Kyle has, as Kyle has already said. It it delighted me to see Poyan Palo score that hat-trick. And not, not just because it won us the game as well, but because, like I've been saying ever since we, uh, ever since we signed him, that this guy is deadly in front of goal. And unfortunately, he scored a couple very uh, striker-like goals, like coming on uh, as, a, as a sub. Then he broke his ankle. And then after that, he hasn't been up to speed at all with the game. And it's like, oh God, uh, he, he, he's, he's lost his mojo kind of thing. Those three goals there, those were proper strikers finishes. And that is exactly what Poyan Palo does. If we ended up buying him, then we, I think, would see, uh, we would see a lot more of that from him. I would be for, I would still be for signing him if the, uh, if the, uh, if the sum isn't too high. I really am. And a slight, slight word there as well from, uh, for, for, for Musa as well. As Baz says, he 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 traps the ball further than I can kick it, which is uh, which is fair enough. But uh, the two layoffs, especially the first one, that first one is really 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 difficult to do. To know that Poyanpolo was where he was and to get like a back flick on the header, that was really really good. Um, and uh, the and he, he it was a man trans the man transformed. And to say that Musa. And Poyanpalo were our two best players. Um, that's great to see. Uh, really is great to see. Not sure if it's going to be enough for a contract for either of them, but um, definitely, uh, definitely a good and 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 a fair and uh, and a fair result at the end of it. I think as well. Yeah, I mean that brings us uh, nicely on to um, to Bremen because I mean uh, we'll we'll look at the next few fixtures and I think Kyle, you've uh, you've kindly put them together. So obviously. Uh, as, as Hurtler are struggling away uh, to, to get one point at Mainz and I think they're, they're, they're still in the, the bottom two, aren't they? And they've, they've got a lot of these teams to play. But looking, looking at our end of the table, the, uh, the top end, um, the games that uh, our, our uh, rivals have got to play, um, Leverkusen have got Bremen, um, this, this, uh, this next fixture, um, next Spieltag. And then Glad- Gladbach um, are away at Bremen. Um, on the last day of the season. So, so Bremen are going to be, I think Kyle, as you sort of said, they're going to be the team that we're looking at going, hope they can get some points. Um, I mean, not, not least of which I think many people, and there'll be a few people listening in the UK, um, probably a great away day, good Northern club. I think uh, after Union did them a favour last season, it was probably unlikely that we could do them a favour again. And uh, I thought we were going to actually in that first half, because as as we've said, it was, uh, it was absolutely abysmal. So we've got we've got three fixtures left, um, and if I can maybe just remind um, us all when we when we did a, a very quick fire, what do we think Union will do? I won't go through them all because we we predicted it from Bielefeld actually, but um, 
we did pretty well. Um, we, we said that we thought we would get at least a point against Stuttgart and we won. So we did well there. Uh, BFRB, yeah, we said we'd lose and, and Bremen, we said we'd win. Um, the next two games, we've got uh, Wolfsburg and then Leverkusen. Um, we've got them both down as draws. And then the uh, the last game of the season, uh, we obviously host the uh, the marketing construct from Leipzig. Um, and it might be interesting as well to get a bit of a take from people on uh, on uh, the type of clubs we face in our last three. But uh, maybe that could be something separate to the footballing side that we come on to. But yeah, there's uh, there's certainly going to be an interesting uh, run in. Um, going back to Hertha, they they play tonight and they've got to play. Um, I think Schalke, Bielefeld, um, they've got to play, I think they played Cologne on the last day of the season, actually, um, which is going to end up being a um, potential uh, interesting fixture. Um, but I think next next up for them is Freiburg on Thursday, which uh, will probably tell us a lot. Um, but we've got um, we've got three tough fixtures. There's no, there's no hiding from that. But um, con- considering, I think, before the podcast, people said, oh, there's probably not that much to talk about in terms of the last three, I think we've done quite well. Um, but yeah, the final three fixtures. Um, what are what what are, what are your thoughts, Mark, on on those fixtures? Um, I mean, if I'd asked you nine months ago, um, looking at those three fixtures, you might have said zero points. But uh, what what are you what are you thinking at the moment? Uh, honestly, I I still fear zero points. If I'm being honest, um, Wolfsburg have. Wout Weghorst, Wout Weghorst up front, and he is exactly the player. Sorry, Baz. Sorry, Baz. God, Wout Weghorst up front, up front, and he's uh, he's exactly the sort of striker that we do not do well against. Documented, didn't know where. I think he might. I think he might have a good day against us at the weekend. I don't know. Leverkusen, I'm not sure about the uh, about what what's still there after the accusations of racism um, about uh, the whole situation that went on in the home game about Tar and Amiri and everything. I'm not sure if we've put that behind us. Um, the, aside from that, a very difficult team to beat, especially in Leverkusen as well. Leipzig could go could go one way or the other. I think that, weirdly enough, I think that Leipzig might be our best chance of getting points because I think that by that stage, they'll be in second and won't really have anything to play for. Uh, So let's say, well, let's say say three points, but I have no idea where we're getting them from, probably against Leipzig. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one aspect of the uh, the end of the season that... uh... You, you never know until you get there and that's who, who has anything to play for. And uh, yeah, as you say, potentially the, uh, the Martin construct uh, might just be sat in second with nothing much to play for. Um, if we have something to play for, it's certainly a, a home fixture that you'd want. I mean, our, our home form, it has to be said, it's been absolutely incredible to be sat here and we've only lost one game at home all season is, uh, is quite frankly, unbelievable. One, one game in the league. Um, obviously we did uh, get knocked out of the poor car. Um, but I think that that is uh, that is incredible. Um, so, Mark, Mark, you you think maybe three points? Um, I probably wouldn't argue with you there. I think we've still got three tough uh, tough fixtures. Kyle, your thoughts on those uh, those last games? Well, uh, Wolfsburg have got a lot to play for at the moment. Uh, they're only two points ahead of. So Wolfsburg are in third. They're only two points ahead of Dortmund in fifth. That race for Europe is going to be quite, or for the Champions League, 
is going to be quite interesting. That being said, yeah, our home form is quite good. So why not go for it? Everything is a free hit from now on. Yeah, we've said that it'd be nice to qualify for Europe and it would be nice to qualify for Europe, but go out, play without fear and, and see what happens. But uh, I do hope that Valvekors doesn't have uh, a good game against us because he's a good player. It's just that he's a pretty awful person considering he's sprouting conspiracy theories about COVID and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's not a sort of player I want to see do well. Leverkusen, the fallout from last time, I don't really think we've actually been right since. It seemed to, the team sort of seemed to take a knock from that and we kind of started dropping points where we really shouldn't have been. That being said, it'd be nice to make amends for the cup defeat last year where we were the best team until... Christopher Lentz gets sent off. They score immediately and it just started collapsing from there. And then I always want to beat that, the marketing construct from Leipzig. Uh, so, but yeah, let, let's see what happens. Hopefully Bremen can do some favours, but um, I don't even know what to, to put points wise. It's They're all free hits. Yeah, like yeah, I'll take zero, I'll take nine. I, I I'm I'm fine with anything, but uh, let's go in the middle. We'll go with, we'll go with five and hope that does us for seventh place. Now that we know it's a European spot, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Just for just for those listening, that uh, seventh uh, will be a European spot now due to what happened in the Pokal. Um. I I do wonder, and I'll um I'll maybe open this up to Mark and uh, Mark and Kyle when you come back in, but I'll I'll ask it to Baz now. Um. Is the European spot as well for Union in, in only our third season in the top flight? And um, is it a bit of a poison chalice in the term in the sense that we have a few more games? Um, we're not a massive club with massive resources, with an absolutely massive squad. Would it would it maybe hinder us and and and, and kind of maybe take our take our eye off the ball a little bit for the, the Bundesliga? And should we just really be focusing on going, okay, we do this season? Let's not care about Europe. The ideal would be to finish just outside and we consolidate again. We hopefully have another good season and we, we show that we can, we can really put our kind of marker in the sand and stay in this league rather than worry too much. Or, and this is where I get a bit excited as a fan, is, it, is a European away day just fucking brilliant and you, wanna, you, you, just, you can't buy that. Um, if you've got the chance to get in, in, in that tournament, you should be there creating memories where do you stand? Don't be surprised, but I totally agree with you. Because um, I would like, I, I, was, I was planning to counter question you, like, would you like to have one or two more years in the Bundesliga or two or three really memorable games in Europe, even if they would be against, I don't know, Hajduk Split in Croatia or against Timu Sovara in, in Romania. But that is something that everybody will still remember at 10 or 20 years. Now, don't get me wrong, I would really like to get several years more uh, in the Bundesliga. I definitely want at least one more year in the Bundesliga with fans so we can actually get through a whole season together with the team. But if you're so close, go for it because um, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity maybe. Create some great memories. And Union is a club, I mean, we like to stay up, but... For us as a fans, the world doesn't really end when we go into the second league, I think. So Europe, bring it on. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I think I think many uh, many people and, and those listening, 
the second Bundesliga is probably the greatest league in the world. So we're um, we're we're not we're not we're not going somewhere where uh, we'd be short of incident. Uh, Mark, what are, what are your thoughts on the uh, the the running and uh, what we're talking about now and the the European stuff? Well. Um... I, of course, been the been the old stager in the group and everything. Have I've experienced uh, European football with with Union before, and it was uh, certainly an event. Especially there were people there talking about stuff, the the whole stories about hiring a hiring a plane and chartering a plane to get to Finland and stuff like this uh, have gone down as stuff of legend. What I can say though. Uh, in in the in the time since then, is like we joke about like yeah we'll be we'll be we'll be finding our tickets to Azerbaijan at, like in in the morning and stuff like that. Or I can't wait to play against Gibraltar's second team and stuff like this. And that's all like very that's all hilarious. Now provided now provided that fans are allowed in and travel is like more or less okay by next year. I'm not interested in playing away in Tirana if there's no fans there. That would be just pointless for me, I think, for a club like us. Uh, but I've because uh, I have some mates who are who are uh, Milan fans. Um, I have actually been to European games uh, in the last uh, in the last few years, last sort of 10, 15 years. I was in uh, Prague for the game against uh, against Pilsen, uh, against Slavia Prague as well, uh, with Bremen as well. And I can just say European nights are special. European nights are a, a special thing. They're, they're this little bit of... Uh, of of salt in the soup, they're like a, a cherry on the cake of a good season, and yeah, we shouldn't take our take our eyes off the big off the big prize, which is every day, which is every day uh, Bundesliga. Uh, that's our bread and butter, and should remain so. I hope, but European football is brilliant when your team's involved. Let be under no illusions. And I mean, is it is it worth underlying? And it probably doesn't need saying, but uh, maybe we should say it anyway. But um, European football is brilliant if there's an actual competition and if people can win and lose and be knocked out and be relegated and have to qualify every season, not a European fucking Super League. Um, Zingler has uh, made his, uh, his, his thoughts on that um, pretty clear. Um, I think Zingler's also made some, uh, some comments about the, uh, the, uh, the signings that Union um, have have made already and uh, players that will uh, come into contract from the 1st of July. Um, I think Kyle, you shared an article which uh, might be worth expanding upon slightly as well. Um, but there's been, been a, a lot has happened in the last few weeks um, with uh, yeah the um, attempted and at this stage failed uh, Super League. Um, do you want to, do you want to pick up on that and talk us through some of uh, some of Zingler's uh, comments and, I'll be happy to, of course, as the chief economist of the podcast. No, that was a joke. But um, a, a lot of the points that Zingler made in the opinion article in the Berliner Zeitung, in the local newspaper, basically come down to that the current economic model of football is just not sustainable, that the top clubs that wanted to get together into a Super League have lots of financial problems themselves and this was actually just their exclusive solution to 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 solve these financial problems uh, and he is basically attacking the salary structure the salary is just too big of a chunk of uh, the annual turnover and it's growing and growing every year players agents 
that's another of his worries. He also makes a point that the league should become more um, solidary. I hope that that's the correct English word. So marketing proceeds and television proceeds should be distributed more equally within Europe and also within leagues. And he is basically saying that we need to completely restructure professional football to make individual clubs less vulnerable, less susceptible for not qualifying for a Champions League or for relegating. That's basically the point that he's making. That's also my interpretation of it because I think for 95%, I agree with him. Some of the basic problems I think in football are that when a team doesn't qualify for for the Champions League, they miss 50 million or 100 million euros in, in budgeted turnover. So the whole house of cards is actually collapsing. It happened at Dortmund 15 or 20 years ago, and it took them, I think, a decade to even get back. And they had to sold, sell the name of the Westfalen Stadion even to get back on their, on their feet again. Another part of it is that the entire scheme is set up that you start the season basically with a budgeted loss and you're completely dependent on selling one or two players. That's not a sustainable business model. Uh, Wilson, you're an entrepreneur as well. I hope that that's not the way that you are running your business. And football is one of the very, very, very few sectors in the economy that is actually doing that. That's a house of cards as well. And these are all systemic risks that need to be need to be fixed. So the difference between clubs are not that big anymore. And the clubs are not, let's say, 40% sometimes dependent on TV money and transfer income. And that is what Singler is um, saying. At least that's my interpretation of it. Um, If I made mistakes, just correct me, guys. I think uh, before I uh, bring bring Mark back in and... um... Just, just for the avoidance of doubt, as Baz mentioned it, that is not how we run uh, our company. Um, myself and Mrs. Union Berlin Man, we have uh, we have a small uh, a small small firm ourselves. And uh, interestingly, one one of our biggest competitors does run the other business model, and that is just get loads and loads of money um, without making a profit. Um, so um, there there are always two ways of doing things. Um, I mean, the Real Madrid model, and the, um, I happen to know after speaking with people at La Liga, um, the, the, the model is, is, is screwed um, because not enough money goes down the pyramid. Um, you've got uh, Florentino Perez with a net worth of um, somewhere in the region of about $2 billion, um, explaining to, to people um, why young people do or don't like football and what concentration levels that they have. Uh, just because he can't um, face watching uh, an away day against Valladolid or something like that. So um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty pleased that the uh, the, the Super League has uh, is being shown for what it is actually, and it's just uh, it's just been a bit of a race to um, fight the, uh, the the massive economic pressures that the clubs that are in the uh, the higher echelons. Um, it's a it's a last gasp opportunity to raise more money. Um, because they're all heavily in debt. So I think the, uh, the onion model, um, being very frugal, uh, we, won't, we won't go and break the bank. We'll, we'll make shrewd signings. Um, one day, we may go down. 
Um, but do you know what? It goes back to what I said earlier and um, what, what you guys have said. Um, if you're a fan, um, is the second Bundesliga that bad? Wouldn't bother me. Um, I'll support Union wherever they are, um, whether it's in Europe or the Spider Liga. So, um, Mark, um, do you want to come in on, on any of those uh, comments that, that Zingler made or, or anything else as we probably go to the close of the podcast? Yeah, I think the the thing that annoyed me the most and everything, it was a, it was a mad 48 hours last week, my word, uh, with the Super League. It was a really hectic uh, 48 hours, but uh, it was nothing if not uh, entertaining. Um, the thing that, that disturbed me most about this is Real Madrid as a club and everything, yes, the stadium, yes, the history and all this sort of stuff. But as it stands at the moment, if you said to any uh, any financial advisor, of which we are, we are, or which we uh, profess to be, uh, they would have they would go white as a sheet if they looked at the balance sheet of uh, of, of Real Madrid. This is a this is absolutely the, the, the opposite of sustainability. And when I hear that the Perez say that allegedly Real Madrid are, are are bust more or less in terms of in terms of money, and then the very next day I realised they're signing da- David Alaba on a free from Bayern Munich, and he's going to collect a signing on fee of twenty two million euros, and when I see that uh, Haaland. Uh, that Erling Haaland might very well go to Real Madrid, but Real Madrid are being put off by his wage demands of 35 million euros per year. Then I have to, you have to ask yourself, like it's almost like the scene in Austin Powers, where like it's just like a random arbitrary number, like a hundred gajillion million dollars. It ceases to make it ceases to mean anything when it gets to this. Uh, we, we're like uh, talking about an union, to come back to union, we're talking about not spending, uh, what was the sum for this Polish guy that we were supposed to be spending two million, two and a half million, or, or well, was it 10 million, 10 million euros? Uh, 10 million euros, apparently, according to Baz's uh, uh, Zoom face there, 10 million. Um I mean that's uh, that's big by our standards. That's uh, that's that's huge by our standards. I mean, two million two million was the uh, was the biggest so far for Anthony Uja. Ten million just it, it's crazy, but it's no less crazy than saying that someone's going to sign for thirty five million per year on Real at Real Madrid. Now we going back to 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 uh, other topics like. Um, to come back to my club in England, Oxford, which, which Andrew, if he was here, would also uh, would also um, back up. Like we, the fans, literally went onto the street shaking buckets. We almost went out of business, and this is a thing that's going on down the leagues in every country around Europe. And this is far, far more. Uh, this is far, far more um, more worrying for me that the clubs and the fans are going to lose their clubs if we're not careful. And to see these astronomical sums and to see this this Super League idea come out and everything, what Dirk Singler said on behalf of Union, that this is a monster and the monster will eat itself before it comes to us, was absolutely absolutely correct. I don't agree with everything Dirk, Dirk Singler says, but with that, he hit the nail right on the head for me. I absolutely do. Um, two things. I th- one, I, of course, I totally agree with what Mark has been saying. 
uh, the 35 million for Haaland is I did I hadn't heard that that number that is insane that's not sustainable spending 550 million on Lionel Messi for five years just for salary and sign-on clauses from Barcelona um, as has happened five years ago is not sustainable as well that's absolutely fucking crazy and it has to end so that's that's one thing I would like to say the second and that that's that's a direct um, reaction to what Mark said. Real has, of course, a huge history and a beautiful stadium uh, and a huge fan base. But what they are forgetting is, and I made a short list of this, Celtic Football Club, Glasgow Rangers, Hajduk Split, AEK Athens, Anderlecht, Olympique Marseille, IFK Göteborg, Spartak Moscow, Ajax Amsterdam, these are all also huge clubs with a massive tradition, great stadiums, and a, and, 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 and a great history. All of these clubs have basically been choked to death in Europe for 25 years because of the endless expansion of the Champions League. Uh, Kyle, I don't have to explain that to you. As a Scottish football fan, that it's unimaginable that you're even going to get to to the knockout stages of the Champions League and making it now to the group stage is already an achievement. Mr. Wilson, you've lived in Brussels. Anderlecht used to be a huge team in the 80s and in the 90s. They were competitive. Now, you don't have to be competitive over decades. You know, there's ups and flows. So you will go down at some stage and you will get back up again. But the stacks against these traditional teams have been so so steep it's almost impossible to climb that pyramid because the pyramid has become steeper and steeper and steeper instead of building a very sustainable small hill where everybody can actually have a chance to once every 10 or 20 years climb to the mountaintop and become champions of europe or of germany i think those are very good points timbers and a comment we got on Twitter, actually, when we released, um, Kyle, you, you shared in our WhatsApp group, the potential uh, new kit for, for Union. And, and we got a comment, and I apologise to the person who made the comment, because I can't remember um, the Twitter handle off the top of my head. But the, uh, the, the likeness was to the Nottingham Forest kit in the days of old. Um, and, and nowadays, unfortunately, you would not have a Nottingham Forest um, coming in with a great manager and, and winning a European Cup. Um, and, and football is about the element of stories and surprise. Um, and that's probably why we all would love a European away day, because football is about stories. Uh, the Super League is, is not a story. Uh, it's a closed shop, it's a closed book, and it's a fucking dull one. Um, I, w- I, won't, I won't say anything further. I think we've made our points uh, fairly, fairly clear on, on, on that one. Um, Kyle, I'll, I'll bring you in. Um, as a Celtic fan, I, I hope you've got some stuff to say as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. the The Champions League, when it was founded, or became uh, evolved, the European Cup evolved into the Champions League. It is it's a lot of the arguments from it then. Now, don't get me wrong; I wasn't alive at the time. Sorry to any of our listeners that are of a certain age. But looking back on it, a lot of this was clubs who were running an unsustainable financial model that essentially wanted more revenues and more guarantees of European football and that pot of gold that became a part of it. 
Glasgow Rangers, for example, were one of these clubs and see when the European football went, so did the club. And that's not meant to be a dig, but that is, they were running beyond their means. For Celtic, like on your own as a club that's run on a fiscally sound basis, they're not. They're a club that, even in Corona times last year, still made a profit, which is incredible. I don't agree with various reasons as to how they got about that, because season ticket prices and various other things that it's this is not a Celtic podcast. It shouldn't be that the champions of Scotland have to play as Celtic have had in the last few seasons, four rounds of qualifiers, so eight games to get into the Champions League. But Spurs, who've won fuck all ever, get to go into the Champions League. Spurs have been in a Champions League final and they've won fuck all. What is the point in that? And Spurs are an easy target because, again, they've won fuck all. But why why did the why does the fourth team in Germany get to go into the Champions League? Why does the fourth team in Italy? Why does the fourth team in uh, in Spain or the, or whatever? Why do they get to go into a Champions League? Put them in the Europa League if they must play European football. Whereas you know you get Ajax who had to play umpteen rounds of qualifiers and still managed to make the semi-finals a few years ago, which was an incredible achievement. And not even not even three months later or. T- no, two and a half months later, they were back to playing qualifiers again. This was a team that was in the semi-final of the Champions League and they still had to play three rounds of qualifiers the next season. And yes, this is related to performance of sides from individual countries, but it's it's a Champions League. And that, there is a part of me that is really looking forward to this Europa Conference League because you only have one team in it from Germany, one team in it from England and one team in it from Spain. But they'll have more teams in it from smaller nations because it'll actually give uh, these clubs, you know, something like games they can actually win and have a bit of success in Europe. But it's a shame that the money pot for it is not going to be what it deserves because a relevant fourth, fourth team in Spain and fourth team in Italy and whatnot get to play in the Champions League where all the big money is and yeah the these clubs who struggle when they do not financially when they do not qualify for the Champions Leagues Perez was saying if the European Super League doesn't happen then we don't sign Mbappe tough shit cut your cloth accordingly like if you're spending beyond the means I, I wish nothing but the worst to you because you're making football cr- like worse for everybody else no one team should have all the stars the Galacticos shouldn't be a concept you know sp- the talent spread around and you know develop players instead of just buying them off of buying like Real Madrid's policy of they see a Brazilian kid doing a step over and he's on a six year contract in the first flight over to Madrid <laughs> It's so frustrating, and and like Baz said, there is so many big and strong clubs in Europe with strong supporters bases that don't get a say at this table, and whereas irrelevant ones do because of the league they happen to be in. It it, it it's so frustrating, and it needs to change. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully the monster eats itself before it starts to affect us. Yeah, if I can add to that uh, very quickly. Um, I don't have all the solutions, of course. Uh, I would just like to stimulate the discourse and and come up with own ideas as well, uh, because only criticizing, I think, is too easy. Uh, I do have a personal blog, uh, which is called www.bastemos.nl. And the second article on that is called An Alternative Model for European Football. So I have written down a couple of proposals that would make Kyle really happy. 
because I think one of the distinctive features of European football should be that it's actually bringing even the big teams all across Europe. So if you really want to unite Europe, like Florentino Perez said, then they should go to the smaller te- smaller teams and the smaller countries as well. I think if you look at the problems in European football, then the Champions League has become way too predictable. The Euro League or Europa League, I don't even know what's the, what a correct name is, is not interesting enough as well because the quality difference with the Champions League is just too big. So I came up with a, a, at least a couple of suggestions how to change that to basically spread the the participants from the big countries over those two leagues. So only the number one and two of, let's say, Spain and England and Germany and 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 France would go to the Champions League and the numbers three and four would go to the to the Euro League and the champions of Holland and Scotland um, and 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 uh, Belgium and Poland would get direct qualification into the Champions League as well. So you have less qualification games. You have a much more interesting Euro League as well. And then at the end, you could come up with the week of football, which I think was a successful experiment last year because of because of COVID to have like the quarterfinal, at least the last couple of knockout stages, really like one game in one city. Uh, and if you do that for the Champions League and the Euro League in one city or area, and at the end of the week, you let the Champions League winner play against the Euro League, uh, that's like my line of thought, regardless of how you how you disperse the television money across the clubs and across the country be, countries, because that is, that is another problem. Um, but we need to have discussions like this, how we can make it more, more equal and we have a bigger geographic spread for the uh, uh, European competitions, in my humble opinion. That's all not very much Union related, I know, but uh, it is obviously something that moves us, touches us a lot. Otherwise, we wouldn't be so emotional about it. Fuck all. I think, uh, I think Union is, um, is a members club. Um, this is a podcast about football values and Union have come out and stated through Zingler what the, the football values are of Union. So I think it's uh, I think it's hugely pertinent to talk about those things on the podcast and, and give our views and maybe people listen and say, um, that's the most sweary podcast we've heard so far, guys. Um, are you okay? Um, I'll hold my hands up because I had uh, two, two stouts and a glass of wine. So I was uh, slightly more liberal with my... Uh, with my F words, um, but um, jokes aside, it's a, it's a passionate subject, which I think deserves, um, deserves debate. And I think it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, I jotted down a few things that were mentioned on the podcast. I don't think we've had one that mentions uh, Austin Powers and elect Olympic Marseille uh, and a poem, Paulo Hattrick. Um, so it's certainly been uh, a, a lively podcast. I think we'll probably leave it there for today because uh, I think that's a great note to end it on. Um, we'll be back. We'll we'll talk about some of Union signings in another podcast. We'll talk about uh, potential new signings where we might want to strengthen. Uh, we'll be back every week from from here on in as we uh, we close out the, uh, the the second season of Union in the top flight. Uh, there's going to be a third season. It's going to be a season with some fans in the stadium at some point. We all hope that it's going to be sooner rather than later. 
the vaccinations are going strong in Germany. They did a million in a day. So let's keep our fingers crossed. And it's good night from us. Go